0: Welcome to the Horse Talk Show! You never heard of a talking horse?
1: With your host, Louisa Barton! I want to be a famous rider. Presented by Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital.
2: Truth is, I help horses with people problems.
3: Now here's the Brit with the Bit!
4: Louisa Barton! Yeah, baby! Yeah! Welcome to the Horse Talk Show presented by Peterson & Smith Equine Hospital. Thank you to Larson Farms, our broadcast sponsor, Idaho's finest alfalfa. I'm Louise Barton in the studio with me. I have my co-host Paulette Stout. And we have a special guest that will be with us for several segments this show. We have Chris Cook here. I'm very excited to have him with us. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you. Uh,
4: We're going to have, I think, three segments with him. We're going to talk a little bit about how he got started in the horses and we're going to chat to him about his program, and then we're going to talk about a little bit of a controversial subject at the moment, but uh, we've all got some uh, great suggestions and answers, and when horses are involved, things just get better. We're going to start off with some news and then we're going to have Dr. Kent on with us uh, from Peterson and Smith. She's going to join us by phone and we're going to talk a little bit about those awful somersaults and what to do about them. And we're going to close out the show with uh, the fifth episode of At Home with the Pirellis when I got a chance to go to the farm and be with Linda and Pat and uh, kind of get the, the story behind all the fame and uh, and all the uh, the wonderful programs that they have and just kind of find out a little bit about how it all got started. And episode five is really good, so you'll enjoy it. Starting off with some news, the OBS sale finished up, I think, much better than they expected, especially under the circumstances. It was delayed and with the pandemic, a lot of people couldn't travel here and a lot of the sale was uh, was relying on virtual. It was nice to see a lot of our regulars there at Ocala Brita sales. Um, 635 horses sold for a total of uh, 58,905,000. That's not bad, is it? Compared with 674 horses last year um, for 72 million. The average price was 92,764 compared with 108,227 in 2019. The median was 50,000, compared with last year's 60,000. Buyback was 18.4% compared to 19.8% a year ago. So actually it fared much better, I think, than people expected. Uh, the sale topper was HIP number 1254, a daughter of not this time, consigned by Topline Sales, sold to Gary Young for 1350000 that's a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> i love it uh, of course we've got the obs sale coming up again in july of two year olds um, horses of racing age and that is set for july 14th to the 16th and the breeze or under tax show as it's known is july 6 to 11 so july 6 to 11 for the breeze and july 14 to 16 for the sale so hopefully that will also go well last year we thought the derby was the weirdest thing uh, with the first infraction, disqualification uh, really uh, kind of turned the world upside down. Uh, June 16th was actually a key point in determining the federal court case that Gary and Mary West have about uh, maximum security being disqualified from the Derby. That legal fight is going on. be interesting to see how that turns out. Each side was given 15 minutes to make oral arguments by teleconference before the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit in Cincinnati. The case was conducted remotely because of the pandemic restrictions. Um, It'll be interesting, uh, you know, whether or not how how that kind of works out. Um, There is an elaborate procedure by regulation as to how the stewards are to function. um, And there's a lot more formality in this decision it's not the normal umpire or referee call, obviously, because there's a lot of gambling and money involved. Um, so it, it's a hard call to make, um, and and it'll just be interesting to see how that turns out when it's all done. Uh, participation in horse racing is a privilege. This means, among other things, that people can participate if and only if they agree to the rules of racing. So. We'll keep reporting back with that as it continues on. The Kentucky Horse Racing Commission has unanimously approved rules that limit whipping at Kentucky horse tracks. Now riders are limited to six uses of the whip after the first furlong. Any jockey cannot strike a horse twice in succession, more than twice, excuse me, in succession uh without giving the horse a chance to respond so those are changes if you want to comment on your thoughts on that you can comment on our facebook live feed if you're joining us there or message us on facebook at the horse talk show the belmont stakes this weekend the first time in history that it has ever run at less than a mile and a half and with no spectators quite interesting Uh, not a huge field uh, Tis the Law, I think, is going to go in as a favourite and they're very likely to uh, win that race. Um, very interesting year when the Belmont Stakes is running before the Derby and the Preakness. The Derby will run on September 5th and the Preakness will run on October 3rd. Very interesting mm. series this year, so uh, not sure how it's all going to pan out. Uh, not sure if we have one horse win all three races, if they'll even really feel like they won the triple crown (laughs) Mm -hmm. so uh it'll definitely be an interesting one uh and and we'll be following that and keeping up with it um robert or bob mcdonald um, of haley idaho was added to the u.s center for safe sports suspension list on june 10th his violation listed sexual conduct involving minors Um, he's a hunter jumper trainer and husband of debbie mcdonald the technical advisor for the u.s dressage team um, he's been deemed permanently ineligible from the U.S. Equestrian Federation and USA Hockey. Um, that uh, was released this week, and um, we'll also be following that story. I know we've had a lot of, yeah. of these um, safe sport issues and concerns coming up. Um, the alleged misconduct is from 47 years ago. Wow.
3: That's a long time ago. I have a friend down in Fort Myers that does uh, <clears throat> hunter jumpers, and she no longer does youth at all. Really? Yeah, she she used to do camps and schools. I mean, I've known her for twenty years, and she just said, in, in a matter of a second, your whole forty years of life could be taken. From could you. be
4: taken. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. It's a um, so, it's a it's a so she's just funny to, world we're in. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> Not to discount anybody that but thinks sure, that they've I'm had sure that experience. I'm just saying, exactly. wow.
3: I'm sure they're going to figure things out, but I don't know how some of it is figured out because no, I people don't either. are afraid of it. I know. You know, she said, if I go up to a child and I reposition the leg, which in hunters, you're always repositioning somebody's leg. So you're going to put your hands on their legs. And one child would say. They felt uncomfortable and you might be done. You might be done for the rest of your life. Yes. And 47 years ago, I
4: can't hardly remember things that happened last week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if you ask me where I was, you know, 40 years ago, um, I don't know, in diapers. It
3: really stunned me when she said that. I know.
4: They'd so say, I didn't uh, know,
3: I, I said, that's nice to know because I, I've never had anybody say that to me. But she doesn't do any youth.
4: And what if he gets to a point where so many instructors don't want to teach the young people because of those concerns? I she mean, it's said, gonna make I can't you- can't take
3: them in the truck. I can't take them in the trailer. Can't you can't take them in the golf you, cart. If you go nope. in the tack room, you have to have somebody else with them. And you know, when you're at a horse show, things are going so fast. You don't
4: have time for all that. No, thinking about having someone escort you and...
3: And watch you. And and
4: watch you the whole time and always have a witness in case... Everybody
3: laughed. Everybody, she said, get out of the barn. I'm not doing it no more.
4: I, I can understand. I, I think that, that we're going to see more of that, you know. It's definitely mm-hmm. a, a huge mm-hmm. concern yeah. uh, for people. We just have a minute left uh, in this segment. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Dr. Abigail Kent, um, and a board-certified surgeon from Peterson & Smith Equine Hospital. But we're not going to be talking about surgery. We're going to be talking about those nasty somersaults that sometimes take such a long way to go away, and how to treat them, and how to know that's what they are, and kind of what the prognosis is on those. After that, we'll come back and have three segments with Chris, gonna talk about his program. Pretty excited, Uh, I know you're going to love it Mm -hmm. when you hear more about it. So uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes on the Horse Talk Show, stay with us.
5: mike smith we're
4: listening to the horse talk show back on the horse talk show presented by peterson and smith equine hospital thank you to larson farms our facebook broadcast sponsor idaho's finest alfalfa i'm louisa barton in the studio with me my co-host paulette stout special guest chris cook and joining us by phone i have dr abigail kent she is a board certified surgeon from peterson and smith Equine Hospital. She's been on the show with us before. Welcome back, Dr. Kent. Lovely to have you with us.
6: Hi, nice to be back.
4: We're going to talk about those wretched somersaws. Nobody likes. They're a real pain in the neck (laughs) uh, to get rid of. They can be quite a battle. Um, Tell us, first of all, what is a somersaw? So, um,
6: its actual name is like cutaneous hybrid So, um, it's, it's a proliferative granulomatous lesion, and you often find it like on the distal limbs um, of horses. Um, and so it's actually more like an infestation um, of the stomach worm Habranema. Um, um, and so um, it's kind of gone on a, its not normal life cycle and ended up um, in a wound on the leg of a horse and then kind of caused this proud um, flesh gramulo- granulomatous lesion.
4: Yes, it's not a very nice sore to have at all. How do you diagnose that as opposed to any other kind of sore that a horse might have?
6: Yeah, so it, it is hard to diagnose sometimes because it can be, like, fairly chronic. But you, the one way to do it is to biopsy it and send off a sample, and you can often find the larva of the um, worm in there or just um, markers that it indicate that it, it's there. Um, Basically, you'll have like a non-healing wound um, that kind of looks nasty, kind of proud flesh kind of lesion, uh, granuloma, and that will be on your differential list so you biopsy it. And um, The other way, obviously, because if you don't get a positive result on biopsy, is to treat it and see if it responds, uh, to treat it for cabronema and, and see if it responds. So like the two ways.
4: So generally, if you biopsy it, how long would it take for you to find out if it was or not? Is that usually a f- like a few day turnaround or?
6: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty quick because it's, um, yeah, you send it off. So it's just um, like a surgical biopsy. So it takes about three to five days. So, it's, you know, by the time you, it's not going to add to, it's not going to set you back in terms of like you've probably seen that lesion for a little while. And, uh-huh. you know, just three to five days is not going to set you back any.
4: You usually when they don't clear up like that and you don't start to see a scab and healing going on, you sort of think that's what it is anyway, at least I do. <laughs> you yeah, know, you start especially to think, mm-hmm. in
6: this region, yeah. Yes. in this region, yeah. Yes,
4: that's actually a good question I didn't plan to ask you, but did you ever come across them in England? I didn't.
6: No, really, not really, no. No. It's mainly tropical and... You'll see like lesions, even in Florida, like sometimes they regress over the winter and I don't think England has a nice enough climate to let them, you know, fester and grow.
4: Yes, we're not very tropical there, are we?
6: (laughs) No, no.
4: So what is the recommended treatment and um, generally how long does it take once you, you know, once you get started on that?
6: Yeah, so it isn't a quick process because you have like a few things you have to do. You have to kill um, the larva, so um, using a larvicidal drug and it's normally either ivermectin or moxidectin and you can give that systemically, so orally um, um, and also you can put it directly on top of the wound as well. So two ways of um, trying to get to that larva and kill it. So you kind of like, you know, kill and get rid of it. But then you need to also treat that massive inflammatory response you have had, so that proud flesh, granuloma, um, and there's several ways of doing that, depending on how severe it is. I would always start off with the medical management first, so doing the larvicidal stuff, but then adding in steroids. And it typically start off with topical steroids. Um, you know, you have less effect on the whole horse. Um, so try and get a response with topical steroids. Sometimes you might need oral steroids uh, just to try and control that mm-hmm. hypersensitivity reaction. And then once you've controlled that, hopefully it regresses. Um, if it doesn't or it's just too large, you can um, kind of cut it back. So surgical debridement or debulking it. You'll still need the medical management with it, so the larvicidal drugs and then the anti-inflammatory drugs. Um, so they're your, like, main wave. Sometimes you have a secondary bacterial infection you might need to control to, so sometimes you might be prescribed antibiotics. Um, but they're, like, the main ways of treating it and. Um, getting it to regress. And it, it can take like a, a couple of months, but sometimes it may go, especially if it goes in the fall, you might see it come back in uh, summertime. Um, because, so I definitely would recommend making sure you have the spinal drugs up to date. Yes, absolutely.
3: Well, that, Dr. Kent, you can also get that in the eye of the horse. I have, I had, is that true? I had one um, mare that I had that I, it looked like a little tiny, like splinter. And what it was, was an egg. And when you pressed on it, you could pull out all these little things in the corner of it was the. That was in the eye. eye? It was in the eye. Really? Yeah,
6: it, oh. it likes moist areas, so yeah, I can definitely go in the eye, and you can have it like on in the vulva or the tip of the penis, like wow. right on the urethra. So mm-hmm. any like moist
3: areas mm-hmm. um, that flies <laughs> <in> land, <laughs> that flies land, and just drop off the lava. So See, oh. I've seen it. I've seen it more on the on the. The areas like she just said, and in the eye.
4: Really, mm-hmm. i only ever had it once on a horse on the leg, yeah. and yeah. it was so hard to and get I out of. To it. it took a long time. That
3: out of the corner of the eye, I just kept pressing on it so I could get all that, all the eggs out of the eye.
4: Wow. Mm-hmm. Gosh, what a horrible thing. What about prevention methods, Dr. Kent? Ways that you can obviously keeping, you know, everything as clean as possible it has to help, right?
6: Yeah. So it's yeah, it's all about. Um, yeah, insect repellents are like on the horse and around the lesion um, to stop spread. But insect repellents in general just try and stop flies landing on them, which obviously is really hard. But yeah, control is basically um, cleanliness and controlling the ho- um, the intermediate host, which are the flies, so the stable fly, house fly, and things like that. And so clean stalls, uh, managing your like your manure um, well. Um, so actually, like if you compost well, the heat in the compost does kill the larvae. So you have to make sure you've got a well working compost heap to make sure you are killing the larva otherwise keep it far away from the horses um, and then just in terms of fly control you know you can have those wasp predators that can um, help keep the flies under control traps and baits for the flies too um, and then just kind of um, if if you have a horse that has it on the farm then you know all the other horses on the farm are going to be exposed to the flies that are carrying the larva so deworming or using that larvacidal drug on all the horses is, is a good idea just to try and keep um, the havoronema under control because they do live in the stomach of horses and then they live in the manure, the eggs are in the manure of horses. Um, and so you just want to keep that life cycle under control so you have less less exposure. So yeah, all the horses will be exposed so I would deworm all of them.
3: Is that, um, That's ivermectin though, right? Ivermectin
6: or moxidectin, yeah.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so really, yeah. it's wise to do them all, especially if you've got a smaller herd and and you've got that going on. Then getting it under control is really important, or it could be unmanageable.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, certainly.
4: Yes. Yeah, sure. Any last tip that you'd like to give us, Dr. Kent? Um, I would just say, just get on top of it as
6: soon as possible because if it comes to surgery, then it is. It is really hard to manage at that
4: point, so um, yes. definitely um, try and get a diagnosis early for sure. Lovely. Dr. Abigail Kent, we'd like to get back to Peterson and Smith to get some videos. We'd love to, to get some segments yeah. with you uh, on camera, so hopefully we can. aboard board certified surgeon from Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital, Dr. Abigail Kent. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. We will be back in just a few minutes, going to chat to Chris Cook. Stay with us on the Horse Talk Show.
1: This show is presented by Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital, one of the top equine hospitals in the USA with services including ambulatory, surgery, sports medicine, reproduction, and with doctors on call 24 hours a day. Check them out now at petersonsmith.com. The opinions of the hosts and guests on the horse talk show are not necessarily that of Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital. This show is brought to you in part by Summit Joint Performance. Promoting a healthy, thick synovial fluid, decreasing inflammation in the joints and improving the cushioning properties of the cartilage pads. All age horses can benefit from Summit Joint Performance. This show is sponsored in part by Hilton Garden Inn. Downtown Louisville, only 5 miles from Churchill Downs, Enjoy the two most exciting minutes in sports, plus a hearty breakfast and a mimosa, and let Hilton Garden Inn do the rest. Book for Derby 2020 now! Our Facebook broadcast sponsor is Larson Farms. The Larson Farms mission is simple to be the leader in quality and value. Richard, owner of Larson Farms, is committed to a positive attitude, integrity, dedication, quality, and teamwork. Larson Farms is committed to being your supplier of Idaho's finest alfalfa. A complete line of mixed and grass hay. Larson Farms, Idaho's finest alfalfa. Hi, this is Hall of Fame jockey
5: Mike Smith. We're listening to the Horse Talk Show.
4: Welcome back to the Horse Talk Show presented by Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital. Thank you to Larson Farms, our broadcast sponsor. Idaho's finest alfalfa. Before we start, I just want to introduce you to Dax new packaging. I love it. I think it's fantastic. It's definitely more heat resistant, which is good for this time of year. This is the DDA. I give this to my horses every single day. This is a wonderful um, feed additive, keeping their bellies balanced and uh, to help uh, with uh, preventing ulcers and just keeping them uh, their digestive system working really well. Just wanted you to see the new package. I love it. Feedack.com. Uh, I'm Thank Louisa Barton. Actually, it's delicious. I'm just going to tell you, it's like tastes like cookie dough. It's amazing. Uh, that's my co-host Paul Stout, in the studio with us. And joining us, we have special guests this week. We've never had on the show before. I'm really excited about um, having him with us. We have Chris Cook here from the uh, Wild Horsemanship Center. Um, it's it's not because he's wild um, All the horses. Actually, it stands for where interest in learning is developed, which I love. That's what the wild is for, uh, which is wonderful. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Lovely to have you with us. Um, Tell us a little bit of your background. Where did you grow up and how did you get Horsey?
2: Well, I I grew up uh, a little bit everywhere. I was born in in Illinois, um, in Springfield, Illinois. Uh, My dad uh, moved all over the country for his career in biotech and biopharmaceutical. Really? Yeah.
4: Interesting.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And um, and we settled down in, in Pennsylvania on a horse farm, uh, and before I got into horses, was that? that was in Bucks County, Pennsylvania.
3: So we are close. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, and um, before I got into horses, I was into uh, Formula car driving, so I was a professional racing driver. Uh, for That's what period. I should have done. <laughs> a short period of time. And um, and then my parents got into horses, and very fortunate. So you
4: liked going fast.
2: Period, horses right? and horsepower. yeah, I like going fast. Um, and, and so when we got into horses, we actually started off with a, a horse rescue, and the horse rescue was promoting natural horsemanship for everyone to, to learn how to uh, work with horses, learn about horse psychology and the horse-human connection. So I got very fortunate. The guy that was uh, teaching the program was, uh, owned one of the biggest horsemanship centers in the East Coast, and so over time, he slowly took me under his wing. His name was Peter Fuller, and the, the farm is Willowbrook Farms. And little did I know that his family helped set up the American Quarter Horse Association. They, they helped uh, uh, also breed Joe Cody. Um, multiple champions were, were wow. born and bred at, the, at that center. Uh, and so he, you
4: really fell into a good spot.
2: Yes, yes. <laughs> we, I fell into a very good spot. And then he was also very good friends with some of the top clinicians from uh, Buck Brandman, uh Jack Brainerd, uh, Martin Black, Pat Pirelli uh, and they all had uh, clinics going on at Willowbrook and so what I basically did is I spent most of my time learning about horses and horsemanship and being mentored by him uh, until I was able to uh, make it to a spot where I could uh, start a professional training program and he oversaw that, that program. And we basically were able to, to help people that had, uh, whether that be wild horses, uh, performance horses, uh, colt starting, we were able to, to open up doorways for people to join clinics that would normally not have the, an opportunity because their horses were too dangerous. Uh, and that led to more and more opportunities in the horse industry. And one of them was uh, going out and uh, studying with uh, Pat Perelli at his center in, in um, Colorado and gradu- graduated at the top of my class there. And- um, oh, Nice. Yeah, yeah. and. Uh, had some conversations with him about the next move, and I decided to go out to California and lead um, a Hanoverian breeding pro- uh, program.
4: Really? Yeah,
2: and decided to use uh, wow. some of the natural horsemanship techniques and uh, also the rain cow horse that I'd been studying with Peter uh, to train uh, Hanoverians and, and compete in both dressage and jumping. And so we finished first in, uh, in California and third in the, in the country with uh, the fastest trained uh, Colts would took about six to seven months where most people took two years and that was all because we were using the psychology uh, more than just uh, release of pressure and force and the Colts took very very well to it and um, and then from there I started to branch out and, and was uh, head of strategic development for uh, organization named hoofbeats and they were in, located in the Middle East in, in Dubai and Qatar and we, wow,
4: you've had like such an interesting <laughs> life. Hey, well, if you're joining us on Facebook while we're talking to him, we're going to pop up some um, some photos uh, of of him with horses. We've got a few here that he sent for us, so yeah. we can we can be doing that and and uh, while you're talking. But yes, t- tell us tell us more. So Dubai, uh, yes. I've always wanted to go to Dubai. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a
2: pretty interesting place. And um, uh, so there was actually the the owner had a contract with uh, the Qatari government, the Qatar Foundation. Uh, which is one of the largest sovereign uh, equine, or equestrian, uh, sorry, education funds. Uh, Their equestrian program was needed reform. They were buying about $30 million worth of jumping horses, and within uh, two years they are all being uh, destroyed by their instructors and professionals because uh, they were being too harsh on them. So they asked us to come in and educate both their professionals and the community on on how to have a better relationship with horses. So we were able to take over their management project uh, for their riding school, and uh, through, that, through that project, what we said was that we need to have some cultural awareness of how to communicate with horses. And um, we were able to not only take on their riding school project, but increase their profits by 500% in the first quarter, and then uh, decrease their uh, health issues or being uh, thrown off and, and hurt right. by 400% in the first quarter. Wow. Um, so that was a pretty successful project. and. Um, uh, because of some of the environments over there, I decided to come back to uh, the United States. And uh, when I How did, long
4: were you over there?
2: Uh, well, I was about th- over there for a little over a year uh, managing that project uh, in both countries. And um, we had uh, about 40 instructors, 400 horses under our management in two different countries. Wow. Um, and uh, the, the particular program that we were, we were heading up uh, took in over uh, 1,000 students uh, a week. Uh, So And we did it in a volume method, we had stations and the stations were able to take on more clients and we were able to uh, talk about every aspect of the equine industry from groundwork to riding to being on a loose rein to being on a collected rein and uh, barn management as well. Uh, So I came back to the United States because uh, while I was over there we helped a therapeutic program with uh, with therapists that were just in schools and were, were helping kids with everything from mental disorders uh, to, to other uh, diseases. And um, we there was there was no uh, therapeutic sanctioning body. So the school just came to us and said, hey, can, can we start up a program together? And so the combination between our instructors and, and their help, we started a therapeutic program. And we saw the, the empowerment of some of the students. Uh, this one girl that we worked with went from, uh, slouching and not being able to pick her, her head up when you, you put her on a horse uh, to within about a, two months being able to ride without anyone supporting her. And we asked how she felt she made these gains so fast. And she said, well, I'm at home. I'm, I'm working on it in my chair in my uh, while I'm uh, sitting there at the dinner table or while I'm sitting there at, at breakfast. So it empowered her to, to have a better life with more freedom. And this was all you know, through using horses. So I said to myself, uh, when I get back to the U.S., I'll see if I can um, start to help uh, therapeutic centers and that's where I started WHC, or Wild Horsemanship Center. And um, when I was getting off a, a plane, uh, a colleague of mine called me and said, uh, what are you doing right now? And um, it, the, the project started actually in South Dakota at a uh, wild Mustang uh, sanctuary, hmm. uh, where, we were, where we were in charge of about a thousand wild Mustangs.
4: Oh my God. And that's
2: how the whole Project started uh, to where wow. we are, to where we are today. It's amazing. <laughs> so
4: we're at the end of that segment. Um, that's a, a great story. Wow, talk about a lot of accomplishment. And uh,
3: and, and trying to do it in ten minutes. I, no, 10 <laughs> yeah, right
4: <laughs> We got to take a break. Minutes. We'll be back in just a few minutes on the Horse talk show presented by Peterson and Smith Equine Hospital. Stay with us.
1: This show is brought to you in part by New Millennium Realty. Owner and broker Brian Cox loves this community and wants to help you find your place in the horse capital of the world. Like them on Facebook or find them at allfarmsmatter.com. New Millennium Realty, the future of real estate. This show is brought to you in part by Tack Shack of Ocala, the horse lover's candy store proudly offering customer halters. Race tack, whips, blinkers, belts, dog collars and more. Tack Shack of Ocala, one-stop shopping for all your horse needs. This show is sponsored in part by Equisin. When visiting the horse capital of the world, you want to stay at a hotel that reminds you of what you love about Ocala the horses. Stay tuned to this show for announcements about the renovations to be completed fall 2019 at the Equisin by following them on Facebook and Instagram at Equisin. This show is sponsored in part by All In Removal, like Jockey and Horse. Shavings Delivery and Manure Removal go together naturally and are the green natural solution too. All In Removal offers a great way to save you money combining the two services of quality Pine Shavings Delivery and Manure Container Rental and Removal. Great service, great quality and the green choice too. Like All In Removal on Facebook now or go to allinremoval.com for more information.
0: Welcome back to the Horse Talk Show. You never heard of a talking horse? Well, listen to this.
2: <laughs>
7: with your host, Louisa Barton. What does it feel like to be in love with a horse? Presented this hour by Palm
5: Chevrolet, your hometown Chevy store. Now, here's your pretty, pretty Louisa
1: Barton.
5: You're fab. You're switched on. You're a bit of
0: all
1: right. Yes. <laughs>
4: Back on the second half of the Horse Talk Show, presented by Palm Chevrolet, your hometown Chevy experience. Thank you to Larson Farms, our broadcast sponsor, Idaho's finest alfalfa. I'm Louisa Barton in the studio with my co-host Paulette Stout, and we have been talking to uh, Chris Cook. He is the CEO and president of the Wild Horsemanship Center. We We've talked a little bit about his childhood. How old were you, Chris, when you when you first rode about, a horse?
2: About eighteen. Oh, yeah. so
4: you weren't little tiny? No,
2: no, no, no. I uh, didn't get into the horses till a little bit later on. Actually, to be, to be honest, I, I rode a horse f- the very first time. I was about six years old, but I didn't but get, really, really ride involved, horses until yeah, yes. yeah, about 18.
4: So tell us a little bit, um, you, you, right before the break, we kind of got to where you come back to America. You'd started the, uh, this horsemanship center. Tell us a little bit about what the, the idea uh, of that was. I, I see a lot of, like, positive human-horse interaction involved, which I think is yeah. really important.
7: Yeah,
2: um, the, the, and, that, and that's uh, exactly what it w- was about, was um, when, when I came back I really wanted to, to help uh, therapeutic centers uh, with general horsemanship and then also sustainability in the equine industry. Uh, so what we, what we came up with was a concept of coming up with a sequential order of how to teach staff and uh, through teaching staff and volunteers, through uh, clinics and also curriculum, that the, the centers themselves could have mentoring programs and then also have a sequential order of how to both train horses uh, and then also how to, to, to give lessons and have solutions for what's happening in, in lessons, uh, which, which also led to our, our research project with the University of Florida, uh, which was measuring uh, the effectiveness of our training on uh, therapeutic horses. Uh, and so what we were able to prove with that, with that project was uh, that 80% of, of therapeutic riding centers uh, don't agree on horse behavior or the solutions on how to, how to uh, fix what's going on. Um, which They're allowed... That's right, that's yeah. high. You know,
3: I, I also know that people that do therapeutic riding generally are not horsemen. So... Sometimes, yeah. And, you know, and, and that's always an issue. In fact, a lot of them are.
2: Yeah, yeah. There, there's a there's a good mix of uh, s- people that do come from the equine industry or or have strong training backgrounds, but there's also a mix of people that ha- have gotten into it more either for the mental health reasons or, or physical reasons, and they wanted to help people that way. And they may not know. They might lot not about... be a horse person, but exactly. they might be
4: like a path yeah, instructor and a lot or of something.
3: Horse yeah. being donated to those programs instead of bought. Then you know, it's right. something that somebody didn't want and isn't. Actually, what is the trained, problem that the horse came well, with? Right. Well, it's not a trained, th- a trained service animal. Where when you give a dog to from the southeastern guide dogs, those guide dogs cost about sixty thousand dollars.
2: Right. Right. I
3: mean, they are trained therapy animals. Right. So there are steps that a
4: horse coming in yeah. may need right. to go through to
3: be suitable
4: for yeah. a therapeutic. That's program. why
3: the one that I'm trying to train to yeah. be a therapy horse.
2: And one of the things that we, we found with uh, the therapeutic courses is, is that they were getting behavioral issues uh, in certain situations or quite a few situations uh, because a lot of times there wasn't any training after the, after the class. Or if it was, it was minimal or it might be um, not toward the specialization of being a therapeutic course. Uh, so what we did is we, we created a program to help those uh, behavioral issues to help mitigate them and then also create a program that you can apply directly into lessons as well so you have the horse development side so how you train a horse and then you also have the side where what you what you do inside of a lesson um, train
3: a horse as specific to, to therapeutic or riding or specific training
2: uh, I mean. specifically to thera- therapeutic riding what so, would
3: you say would be the difference between training a horse and one for therapeutic riding
2: so the the main differences that i i see is um, First of all, you're going to have to have a a horse become confident with sidewalkers. You're also going to have to have, have like, let's say you you take the path therapeutic uh, rules and regulations. So they they ask that the horse be at your shoulder, so your shoulder is at the pole of the horse, and that you have about um, uh, a lead rope's worth of length in between you and the horse. Now, if you are going to, to walk forward and have that horse lead with you, what and what needs to happen. You can't use that lead rope. Otherwise the horse is either behind you or the horse is in front of you. The horse has to know how to stick to your shoulder like a cow,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: it's like a cow horse. So when you're working with cow horses, you teach the the horse to stick to the shoulder of the cow to control the cow. So what we did is we started teaching humans, so the the leaders, Mm -hmm. how to cause horses to stick to your shoulder, walk, trot, stop, back up, also, uh, we also sh- started teaching techniques on why do horses uh, fall in with their shoulder? So for example, you might have a horse that on the ground with a leader is doing quite well, which usually most leaders are on the left and they're doing left circles uh, in, in these programs. And then they get in the saddle and they might have an independent rider and they, then they wonder why they can't do a straight line or the horse is always wanting to turn left and won't turn right. So we alleviate these problems by balancing, teaching uh, the companies how to balance this on both sides, and then also how to, to inspire the horse to learn straight lines as well, uh, so that the, the horses aren't dropping shoulders and creating problems that a therapeutic rider that has many physical issues, maybe mental issues as well, would have a harder time controlling. So we help the horses uh, through the staff become better partners for the riders. Uh, and, and so uh, on a broader picture, what we do is we scholarship, we're, our big program is scholarshipping these centers in our Horses Helping Humans clinics, um, and then also in strategic development. And the strategic development side of things is us going in and helping them develop new programs. Uh, we have one center that we're working with uh, called Vote Code Horse. It's a veterans therapeutic program with mental health uh, specialists. Uh, and we're creating programs for uh, first responders, military, uh, to come in with the with the their staff and then also with some of my coaching uh, and go how through, wonderful yeah go through everything from ptsd and and how to uh, recover from some of the life that, that they've led um, so those are those are the the main stays in the therapeutic riding program and then we have our work that we've done in south korea which is bringing western horsemanship to the government or, or the country of south korea uh, for the first I time was in history. I was impressed
4: by that. I'm like, oh my
2: <laughs> yeah, gosh. yeah we, got, we got very lucky that um, we got selected for that project, uh, which was basically through the University of Florida. Uh, one of their researchers came to me, approached me, and said, we've got a project uh, with the U.S. Embassy and the South Korean government. Uh, we'd like to bring your coaching, your uh, theory on horsemanship to uh, South Korea. And when we got down there, uh, we saw that, they purchased the horses, they bred, uh, it was all American Quarter horses because one of the things that they required was that the, the horses be safe and sound minded um, and started a breeding program. And so we came in and, and helped and are still helping uh, coach them on on how to both train the young horses, uh, train uh, the, the professionals to help more students, uh, and then also uh, support the equine industry in South Korea which is and what, uh pretty what people.
3: is their main thing? Is they do Western English? Uh, well what is, what they is, they, they do think? a little
2: bit of both. So this is the first time that Westerns come to South Korea. Uh, but uh, they they do a lot of uh, jumping and a little bit of dressage and this has been the first time that they're having uh, western horsemanship western horsemanship events oh, cool. uh, in their country <laughs>
4: okay yeah mm-hmm. i have to go we have to we have to go take another break but that was really interesting i was going to ask him what do you do in your spare time mm-hmm. but then i was like no we don't have time for that <laughs> we'll be back with chris cook in just a few minutes stay with us on the horse talk show presented by palm chevrolet this hour we'll be right back hello
0: my name is alberto rujan with Equine Performance Center and Performance Equine Veterinary Services in Ocala, Florida. I am a senior veterinarian and I am going to show you what an amazing success we had in 2019. Then I am going to show you what are we doing to have even better success in 2020. First, I'm gonna start with a little guy that captured our heart. His name, Parley. Parley is a little pony and he came with us with fractures on both shoulders. Parley couldn't walk. Most of the time, he spent his time limping or laying down. Then all veterinarians joined in a massive teamwork approach to get Parley to the other side of the pool. Then, Parley kept recovering. Slowly but surely, Parley received top-of-the-line therapies like PRP, stem cells, aquapacer work, ozone, oxygen therapy. You name it, Parley receives it. But most of it, a lot of care and a lot of love. And now we can safely say that Parley is a happy guy. We have an amazing Pasofino mayor. Her name, Illusion. Illusion came to us without being able to walk. She had a horrible disease laminitis. We all fear laminitis, but with a lot of TLC, a lot of perseverance, a lot of care, she got hyperbetic oxygen chamber, she got magna wave, she got vibration plate, she got cold salt water spa, she got therapeutic february. If we had it, we gave it to her. And she gave it back to us with a lot of respect and a lot of appreciation. And here, You can see how every day she was improving little by little, little by little. No question about it. We had our setbacks, but she did not give up. She just did not want to give up. And you can see how she's trotting. It took a village to get Illusion to be one of our most amazing discharge of 2019. This amazing young mare, is a thoroughbred mare, who by mistake ran into a wood pole. You can see the massive wound that she received and how hurt she was. Most people didn't believe she would survive. Most veterinarians wouldn't believe she would survive. The wound went through many important structures, including veins, arteries, and nerves. But sure enough, she did not want to give up, neither did we want to give up. She received a lot of care, hyperbetic chamber, a lot of rehab, and you can see how she started walking, and the story repeated itself. Every day, a little bit more, every day, a little bit more. And our team, relentless, with every therapy that we had and a lot of love, we were able to get her to walk, get her to go home again, and finally, get her to be sound and gallop on her pastures and be a happy horse. Lastly, I am going to present you probably one of our biggest success ever. I present you Easy. Easy is a young filly young Thorbre Philly, who was neglected because she had foot infection on both front feet, because she had bone infection on both front feet, and Easy was forgotten. Many veterinarians gave up on her. Owners gave up on her. She was rescued, brought to us, and here is what we got. Easy, slowly, Every day, she kept. She was telling us she did not want to give up. She wanted a little bit more, a little bit more. And very quickly, after many treatments, including hyperbaric chamber, saltwater spa, therapeutic ferry, and a huge teamwork, she kept walking a little bit more, a little bit more every time, until she finally was our most successful discharge of 2019 she is now living happily with her friends at home because we believe we believe in miracles we believe that if we work hard enough and if you have the right team we can definitely do the impossible but most importantly is that we're not stopping here now i am going to show you what we have for you for 2020 we are opening a state-of-the-art surgical room where we're going to be able to take our level of care to the next level. Now, the sky's the limit. You guys, enjoy. Thank you very much for an amazing 2019 and let's
3: wait for what the 2020 is getting us.
5: Hi, this is Hall of Fame jockey Mike Smith. We're listening to the Horse Talk Show.
4: back on the horse talk show presented by palm chevrolet your hometown chevy experience thank you to larson farms our broadcast sponsor idaho's finest alfalfa i'm louisa barton in the studio with my co-host paulette stout and special guest chris cook and we've been talking about wild the wild horsemanship center and all the incredible things that uh, it does and actually on the break i found out that his wife flies blackhawk helicopters in the army and she's learning to be a commercial pilot so between the two of them, they're quite amazing. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to uh, to talk to Chris about is we have had a very trying and very difficult year. 2020 so far has been um, one thing after another. It seems like maybe aliens are next. Who knows? Uh, that's what they say. Um, but one of the things that I want to talk to uh, to Chris about is his program really focuses in on um, you know, working with the horse and the person relationship and, and lots of different issues that people have to deal with, whether they're veterans or, or they have some disability. But one of the things that he mentions in his list was diversity, and it got me to thinking about what we're going through right now, which is very controversial time. Um, and so can you share with me a little bit of your opinion of some of the problems that you see um, whether you see the the racial tension or if you think it's another much deeper issue perhaps
2: well I think there's a, a little bit of both you know I, I think there there is uh, racial tension that that also has some deeper uh, issues behind it um, you know one of the things that, that I look at in, in some of these neighborhoods and to back up a little bit you know i've uh, I've lived in just about Every part of the United States I've lived in, everywhere from uh, New York uh, to San Francisco to the Midwest and, and the, even the Deep South, um, in in uh, the inner city of St. Louis, um, and uh, and then also uh, in horse farms in Pennsylvania and in Florida, and other places as well. Uh, so you know I, what I've seen is that we've got places in in America um, that have. Lower socioeconomic economic uh, means, so to speak, uh, that where you, you have the kids that may not have access to, to good educations, uh, they might not have uh, access to to a two parent household, which I think is a, a very uh, important part of uh, of growing up. Um, and what you're seeing, I think, is is a lot of unrest that do that comes from not being able to have uh, the right access to success. And when I when I say that, I kind of mean more of what What's the pattern towards success? And so, you know, one of the things that, that I know is, works and has had worked for me is mentorship, uh, creating value, creating value in yourself through education, uh, and then also uh, being able to give that value back into the community. Uh, and you know, the the last one is hard work. And um, not saying that people don't want to work hard, but they may not know how that how to access that. Um, so I see that that one of the solutions is through grassroots programs. Um, You know you see a lot of uh, programs that are getting a lot of attention right now uh, that might have more of a a political side to it uh, which there's not necessarily anything wrong with it but I don't know if that's all the the best solution for change. Um, You know I, I come and think of Organizations like, well, even what we're doing with uh, foster children, uh, we have a contract uh, with uh, UHTH, which was a part of uh, Heart of Florida Youth Ranch where we helped them yeah. raise raise money and raise capital for their, their horsemanship program. And then we also did strategic develop, development for the curriculum. Uh, and what we did is we really focus on empathetic leadership. So teaching the kids how to uh, view their life through interacting with a horse, uh, through observation, connection, uh, goal setting, and then also self-reflection and being like, okay, if that wasn't, the, if I didn't get the result I wanted, why did that happen? And then attaching those successes uh, and, and both the, the failures is understanding why you, you failed uh, or didn't meet the goal. And then also understanding what was been bringing you success and doing more of that. Uh, so grassroots organizations like that, uh, and then also uh, if we have a, a partner of, uh, named uh, Fred Stokes. He's a Super Bowl champion, um, and mm. he has a program called uh, Lint Brother, uh, who goes into communities uh, predominantly in the inner cities and works with young men uh, that uh, don't have fathers and don't have good male role models, and he teaches them how to, to have connections, good conversations with each other, build long-lasting relationships, and those relationships that they build with each other spring out and go into other relationships that they might have uh, with th- their family, uh, with getting into uh, marriage and things like that. Um, and then Joe Gibbs uh, the from racing fame and NFL fame has got a great program uh, called Game, Game Plan for Life uh, and he goes out and does everything work from works with prisons and then also uh, works in, in uh, inner cities as well. So those type of programs is, is what I see uh, can actually help uh, young people uh, get over some of the challenges that are, are going on today.
3: So basically it's mentorship all the way around.
2: I, that's how I feel Which is, is funny, when he came
4: show. into my office before the show, that's the mm-hmm. first thing I said was when we were talking about what can we do about this problem. It's
3: generations yes. bringing up generations.
4: Yeah. yeah. And there's so and many kids who are missing one or even mm-hmm. both parents mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. their parents are absent and they don't have like our kids here in Ocala can yeah, just but, pop to the but, farm, you know. Just like
3: we talked about where, where certain parents, and we're not going to mention names, but they're brought up correctly and they still take a why they're very, hard, even though they're brought up correctly and they've got good educations, they still don't go probably in the correct direction.
2: Right, yeah. And, and you know, the other thing that I've seen and we talked a little bit you know, earlier as well is um, you look at the neighborhoods that, that might have uh, low socioeconomic uh, means and the government might be uh, giving money to them and there's not change or not a lot of change. Uh, and you, you look at why. Well, forming these personal connections and, and using programs, even like uh, horses and some some of the projects that we're uh, looking at opening and, and doing, um, when you form a strong connection and, and then you're able to do that both with a horse and other humans, uh, then you start to create more value. That value gets spread out into the community. Uh, then more businesses want to invest Being in those, area. yeah. Right. And, and then you, know, you, you have the opportunity to, to have that value relate into taxes and those taxes help better schools. So I I think that that is one of the reasons why, you know, some of the the things that we're seeing today, um, the issues aren't really getting addressed as well as they could be.
4: I agree. A lot of times the kids don't have someone to look up to. They might be afraid of law enforcement because maybe they have a parent who's been in trouble so that's kind of ingrained into them that they're afraid of automatically and they don't understand and they haven't had a good example necessarily or a a good relationship or, a, you know, a parent who's around or maybe the parent has to work so much they're not around at all and the kid is kind of raising him or herself right. and they need that, somebody to look up to, somebody that they, and horses make everything better. Absolutely. You know? So if you, can, <laughs> if you can put those pieces together, uh, yeah. it sounds like that's what you're doing. It sounds like we need millions more of you.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, well, we're trying to build it one, one step at a time. Yeah.
4: Do, you, um, do you see racism going both ways, or do you see it just, is it a one-sided thing?
2: You know, in my experience, uh, I haven't faced much racism in, in my life. and I, I
4: haven't either. I feel like yeah. I'm in a bubble.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and um, I, I feel that, that it, it's really sad that uh, this is the state of the country where they, the, that this is what is felt is that there's uh, systemic race, racism and di- division all over, which I, I don't think is the, the case. Um, you know, I also think that uh, people, are, when you intimidate people and say it this is all over, that's what they start to feel. Right. Uh, and we need to talk more and have experiences with people uh, that may not have, share our same backgrounds and find out more about them. And that's why I feel the mentorship part of things is so valuable, it pulls you out of your comfort zone.
4: Chris, I could talk to you for hours. We'll have to have you come back. Absolutely. (laughs) Stay with us just for a minute. Um, Very quickly, uh, our county commission here in uh, Marion County voted down the ATV park in Flemington. Thank you, county commission. We appreciate you putting the farmland preservation area first. We're very happy about that. Thank you, Tom Schmitz, for the update. We'll be back in just a minute on the Horse Talk Show. We have episode five of the Pirellis, and I love having Chris Cook here. He's got to come back. We'll be right back. The Equine Performance Center, Ocala, with numerous success stories and featuring the most advanced equine conditioning and rehab equipment available in the world today, is striving to be the best in the nation. Find them on the web at epcrehab.com and like them on Facebook now.
2: This hour of the Horse Talk Show is presented by Palm Chevrolet in Ocala, where the entire team is committed to making your experience in sales and service hassle-free and easier than ever with no games or gimmicks. Come in and visit on Southwest College Road or online at palmchevrolet.com. A second to none experience with all the amenities. Palm Chevy, find new roads.
1: This show is brought to you in part by DAC Vitamins and Minerals of Florida. All horses need a solid immune system, excellent joint support, a healthy gut, and DAC has all the vitamins and minerals they need with the NASC stamp of approval. So like them on Facebook now or go to feeddac.com. Stack. it makes a world of difference.
4: The Equine Performance Center Opala with numerous success stories and featuring the most advanced equine conditioning and rehab equipment available in the world today, is striving to be the best in the nation. Find them on the web at epcrehab.com and like them on Facebook now.
2: This hour of the Horse Talk Show is presented by Palm Chevrolet in Ocala. Experience the difference in buying. Palm makes it simple with no pressure. The best sales staff and lots of inventory. Experience the difference at Palm Chevy in Ocala or online at palmchevrolet.com. Palm Chevy, buy new roads. Hi, this is Hall of Fame jockey Mike Smith. We're listening to the Horse Talk
5: Show.
4: I'm Louisa Barton with the Horse Talk Show here with Pat and Linda Pirelli, their farm in Ocala. We're at home with the Pirellis in a series. We've learned a little bit about their childhood, their romance. And now we're going to talk a little bit about how the program started. Linda, I'm going to start with you. Um, I know you learned a lot from Pat. Um, even before the two of you got married and, and you moved to America, you were in this learning process um, back in the eighties. Uh, it wasn't nearly so we weren't nearly so technically advanced as we are now with internet and Facebook and social media and all that sort of thing. How did you get started and what kind of spurred you to, obviously Pat was already doing clinics and things. You'd learned a lot, but what kind of spurred you to get started and how difficult was that
7: before the age of for this virtual that we can do now? We had
5: the covered wagon.
7: Yes, that's right. (laughs) Um, Well, when I met Pat, he had these um, three videos, five videos, five videos. videos. And so I just started watching those to death and trying to, um, you know, go out and apply it. And I did make good progress, but then Pat would come back and do another clinic. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like a dog going to the toilet just (laughs) off camera. (laughs) Anyway, so. Um, that was great. We're going to keep rolling. That's hilarious. Look, at least it wasn't Pat. At least you said it was the dog. Yes. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so, um, uh, you know, I had these videos, but then if I got stuck, I would call Pat and I was just kind of working on these little basic things that they, it wasn't called the seven games in those days, but that's what it evolved to be. And, um, so if I got stuck, I called Pat and then I would go to the clinic again. And then the next year he came back, I said, you know, are you going to run a more advanced clinic? And he said, why? And I said, well, there's people like me that keep coming back and we want to know the next thing. And so then we started running some basic and advanced clinics when I was, um, now, you know, promoting his tours and setting up his clinics. And then when I came over to the United States, you know, we were driving around in our little old motorhome and we kept thinking about, you know, what do we need to do to help people? And how can we put a program together that gives them troubleshooting and pitfalls and success tips and all that kind of thing? And Pat had this great idea, and he'll probably talk about it a little bit more, because he said, you know, martial arts has always been something he was passionate about. And he said the belt system is what we need in Horsemanship. He said people mostly measure their results in competitions and things like that, but there's nothing that helps you measure how good you are with horses, just in general. And so he said, I'd like to do something that has levels and is kind of like the the black belt, the martial arts belt system. And so we then started talking about, well, what should be in level one and then what should be in level two. And and as we were driving around, he'd talk and I'd ask him questions and then I'd write, you know, be typing on my little laptop and putting all these programs together. And in those days we had, we'd finish with level one and we put that out to the world and people would finish it and go... Where's level two? It's like, oh, I'm writing as fast as I can, you know. And so we were developing it all piece by piece. And it was highly driven by the people that we were traveling around and teaching. So then we would see the success of what we were doing and where the pitfalls were and what we had to tweak on the program. And then finally, in 2003, we launched the Savvy Club because we knew we had to go beyond dvds that you could buy this was, people were getting so immersed and our program is so all-encompassing you know because it's about behavior and it's about handling and then basic riding and teaching your horse to relax and um you know or teaching them how to be more brave teaching you how to trailer load your horse how to prepare them for the farrier or the vet there's so much in it it's like we'd have a thousand dvds you know and so that's when we thought of, well pat was always passionate about doing something like a membership where people could be part of a club and learn together and be supported together. And so 2003 is when we actually launched that. Pat, tell us about starting the program.
5: Well, um, first of all, I I was at best a C average student in school. And that was only because my dad was, you know, uh, number two in the world in boxing. And he would have tore my head off if I didn't at least get Cs. But... Um, I wasn't a great student, and um, but I remember saying, you know, that anything I wanted to learn, I was, you know, I was a learnaholic about, and I wanted to learn about horses, I wanted to learn about cattle, I wanted to learn about farming um, and ranching and all this stuff, and it was, you know, and luckily I had an FFA program that that was the thing I did the best in, but. It, was a, it also had a hands-on thing. We had 6,000 acres that our school was given and we could grow hay, we had uh, fruit trees, we had cattle, we could have all these different things. It was hands-on. And so I thought, you know, if I ever had a school or was a teacher, it, it would be a, a hands-on, you know, working learning situation. And so principles, purpose, and time are the tools of teaching. And when I first started wanting to learn about horse training, I was interested in, uh, Western sports like, uh, reining, cow horse and cutting and stuff like that. And, and so I wanted to learn how to teach horses to do lead changes and spins and slides and all the different maneuvers and work cows and, and a rope and do all this stuff. And I found that there were two kinds of people. There were the horse trainers that all went to horse shows and everything was, you know, uh, just very, very, uh, schmick and beautiful and, you know, shiny and all this kind of stuff. And the horses could spin and slide and do all this stuff. Then there were a bunch of cowboys that could get anything done on a horse, but they couldn't get them to change leads. They didn't even know what a lead change was. They couldn't get them to spin or slide or, or any of that stuff. And I'm like, holy smoke, how can there be this very principled group over here that can't do anything on a ranch? How can it be this purpose group of people over here that can't do anything, you know, in a, in a show ring? I go, there's something wrong here in the horse world. And then I then I started noticing that that uh that Western riders compared very good Western to very bad English, and English riders compared very good English to very bad riders and so and and so people got into all these kind of uh you know birds of a feather sit uh, you poop on the same rock is what I've learned, and they sit there and point out what what's wrong with all the other groups. So what I found was that they're in good horsemanship there in real horsemanship there are um ubiquitous. Elements that 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 feather through that whether the horse he's got good manners on the ground and the, the horse is you know easy to you know not only easy to get but wants to come over run you know come over to you out in the pasture or in a stall I mean I, you, how many people have paid me to put a halter on a horse in a stall and and I mean I've done this in twenty seven countries including Texas <laughs> and I'm telling you I've had people. What I've done, to, you know, the things I've been asked to do that are just normal, regular things. Now, Caesar Milan is a friend of mine, and he does the same thing with dogs. I mean, people get, have no control because they have no communication with their animals. They don't really think like those animals do. And so anthropomorphism is rife, and, and adult human beings are easily addicted to linear thinking. We want to just make our process look like a product. So these are the things that I noticed. Now, I was a rodeo cowboy, and I was taught by one of the very best, Johnny Hawkins, 63 world Champion, five times runner-up, and he taught me one thing, study with the best, forget the rest. And guess what I found out? All the very best people were very um, uh, lateral, okay? Uh, Ty Murray, who's a good friend of ours, um, I mean, he did gymnastics. He worked on a trampoline, a unicycle, and that's all the stuff I did when I was a rodeo. Like, Ty and I become friends now We're, you know, I'm— uh, well, he's 50, so I'm uh, 16 years older than him. <laughs> I had to do the math real quick. My grandpa said never do math in public. But, but, but we both had the same idea of that's what I want, but I'm going to do all these things to get it. But most people go, that's what I want, so therefore I'm just going to march straight ahead toward that. And they get these blinders on, and all they can do is see what their passion is, their discipline is, their event. And so when I started helping people, I started realizing that people really didn't know what made horses tick. So there is no one video there is no one clinic there is no one lesson you can take this is a lifestyle this is a, a a life a horse life learning how to how to how horses feel think act and play and how to make what used to be frustrating fascinating and how to think outside the box or the barn how to uh, get horses to do things on the ground so that their they bo- bonding, their obedience and their exuberance is in the palm of your hand. That horsepower and horse play coming together. How you can do that in the saddle. How you can be the ambassador of yes instead of the minister of no. And that's what most people are with horses. They're the ministers of no. Stop. Don't quit it. Stand up. Quit it! All right? And why? Because people are afraid are really, truly afraid of real horsepower. But once you learn, like I learned in martial arts, how to take that energy and how to put it into a positive thing. Yes, you can run fast, as long as it's in a 10 meter circle. That's how you can say yes to a horse that wants to go forward. Instead of pulling on the reins and jerking him over because now he's raring to go because he can't go because he's raring, so he flips over. So.
4: Hold that thought. We got a break. But we're going to come back. I'm going to leave the mic over here with Pat. We're going to carry on, learn a little bit more about the program, how it got started, any issues they had to deal with, and mentors. I want to know about their mentors. So we'll be back. Push
3: it like that. that on the internet. Oh,
4: hi. (laughs) We were chatting. Whoops. Whether you're in Ocala, Marion (laughs) County, the horse capital of the world or not, happy horsing around. till the same time next week, make sure you like us on Facebook at The Horse Talk Show and check us out at thehorstalkshownetwork.com.